Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. My first guest, pleasure to introduce Dr. Jonathan Fisher. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome, Adam. This is great. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. Likewise, my man. I am feeling good. Feeling good, Lewis. Right? <laughs> Looking, Looking good. There we go. Now, now we got it going on. It's so interesting. I um I'm getting these uh memories in my in my Facebook. You know, Facebook does the memories things. I'm getting all the shows that I did about this time last year when I was recording from, from my den. And it's just crazy to look back uh, in the past year and see how far we've come during this crazy time of the pandemic and also maybe taking a couple steps backwards. Um, but a lot of us have, have changed for better or for worse. And it's just been an absolutely crazy time. So before we dig into that, I'd love if you could just take a moment and kindly introduce yourself to my tribe. Happy to introduce myself. I'm a Jersey boy. I've been a cardiologist practicing for 20 years now. It's hard to believe. And the first 10 years of my practice were good, but they weren't so hot. I didn't realize that the stress of even medical school was getting to me and kind of eating away so that I was struggling and keeping it to myself. Lots of anxiety going on. Eventually, there, there was some depression going on, Adam. And I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody. And so one thing led to another and I hit rock bottom. I was taking care of thousands of people every year. And you don't think about this when you're a patient. You just think, oh, my doctor's got his, you know, what together. But there's a story back there. And sometimes it's a hidden story. And so I've committed the last 10 years of my life to number one, getting my own story together so I could be in a better place where I could actually enjoy my life to be happy. And should. along the way, I learned a lot of tools and skills. And I realized that I wasn't alone. So I've been committing myself to helping the rest of my colleagues, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and healthcare, you know, come from a place where we can feel good about our work and also help people, which is what we set out to do. Yeah, that that's tremendous. So let's let's rewind a little bit. I'm always curious, you know, why why did you decide to get into medicine? Were you like always a science kid? Were you that kid playing doctor on the block with the other kids? Like why like why science, man? Well, why medicine? If you met my dad, Adam, you, you would know. My dad is 95. He's living in New Jersey, and he was the town doctor for a small town called Livingston. It was like 30,000 yeah, people 50 years ago. And he was the doctor. He wasn't just like the heart doctor or this doctor. He did everything. You know, He spun the blood. He did the x-rays. He, he had a sore on your toe. And so the office was literally in my basement growing up. So can you imagine that your dad's like, all right, I'll come down for dinner once I finish with my patients, and it's just downstairs. So that set things in motion. I'm the youngest kid in the family of seven. My oldest brother, Eddie, went into medicine. Laura went into medicine. Naomi, David, Andrea, Daniel. So you get the you idea. Say it's, in the, it's in the blood. Literally, it was in the blood. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had a choice, but I kind of stayed on that track because I love science and I also like helping people. 
I, I love it. And it's, it's an interesting story because my father grew up the same way. My grandfather, who was born in, in 1901, just to give some perspective, mm-hmm. uh, in Brooklyn, uh, East 17th Street, Sheepshead Bay, he mm-hmm. was very similar to your dad. He was the, the physician on the block. He delivered babies. He, I don't know if you're familiar with the old, uh, the old singer, Neil Sedaka, who's still around. Oh yeah. (laughs) My grandfather delivered Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka taught my dad how to play piano, a little story there. So very familiar where his office was in the medical office was in the basement. And, um, yeah, same, same thing. And and it's great. Uh, We, we drive by there a couple times a year and the, um, the post is still out. I mean, the, this doctor sign's not there. And uh, I took my kids there a couple months ago and drove by and it's just, it's nostalgia. You know, I still have my grandfather's um, uh, desk plaque and I even mm. found the, the key to his office, which is, which, which is, which is, which is pretty cool there. Um, but it's interesting. Like, and I, and I think you have to have a certain, well, obviously mindset, a science mindset to, to, I can't even fathom what medical school is like, mm. you know, you watch the shows on TV, the doctor shows, and obviously they're reading off a script and everything, but yeah. like, to, to, to understand something in such detail where you're an expert with someone else's life in your hands, that's heavy. Yeah, it's really heavy. If you're taking it seriously and doing it right, it can be really heavy. And, uh, and they don't train you for that either. They're just like, okay, learn these thousand medicines, learn a thousand parts of the body and go out and save lives. Nobody says what it's actually feeling like when you're out there and somebody is on life and death's door and you're the one who's responsible. And what do you do with all that? So yeah, it's heavy for sure. And even, even now in medical school with the, with the, the, the evolution, the, the elevating of mental health, Mm -hmm. they're not even working on that in medical school. So they're starting to. So a lot of medical schools are catching on realizing that this whole crisis of burnout, which, you know, comes from the business world. It's also in healthcare. It's not just doctors in their field. It actually starts in medical school. And the rates are pretty scary, Adam. About one out of 10 medical students has committed or considered committing suicide at some point. It's That's staggering. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy. And I don't think anybody knows till they get into the profession what that, what that weight is. And how do you compare? I mean, let's just take a step back. So your, your specialty is cardiology. Mm-hmm. Are, are you in, in, in the operating room or? I'm not. There's two types of cardiologists. There's the type everyone thinks down. of, which is like open heart surgery kind of stuff. And they cut and they sew and they fix the stuff. And then there's, who do you go to when you're having chest pain, trouble breathing, palpitations in the right. heart, high blood pressure, sugar, diabetes, cholesterol? That's me. And I, I think of myself like Sherlock Holmes. I'm the guy who has to and loves to figure stuff out beforehand. And then I also am kind of the communicator. I'm like the Larry King, like explaining things in a very clear way. I'm like and the then, Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Larry David meets Larry King. That's kind of the way I describe my show. You know what? A little bit awkward, but I also come at you with a little Larry King on that. Larry King and Larry David is awesome. Um, you know, a little, a little digression here. When I was 15, the one radio show that I called into was Larry King Live. I don't know if you remember from back then. Carla. so um yeah but speaking of larry david uh just to go there you know i speak you know on the one hand you have medicine that's life and death it's really heavy it's really serious and if you're not aware it can weigh you down and you eventually burn yourself out you start to numb out you start to close off your own emotions so that you lose that sense of really empathy or compassion for other people and so now i'm in a place not only do i feel more balanced but i bring laughter into the exam room i bring smiles so I assume that if you're coming to see me in the doctor's office, you're already scared out of your mind, right? Potentially. And so I'm going to do what I can, just like when you and I met, Adam, you did what you could to set me at ease. 
I do that right away and I try to bring a little bit of levity when it's appropriate because I, I know the science and when you laugh, it's good for right. your heart. When you love, it's good for your heart. So that's kind of what I've shifted towards in the second half of my career. I, I, I love it, man. And, and it really, it really is start with the heart and, it, and it's, it's more than bedside matter. It's really just taking an empathetic approach because I think that we've all had experiences with doctors that are very clinical and by the book and, you know, scientific mind. And that's great. If they know what the hell they're doing, like, I don't, I don't need you to be freaking funny, man. Like I need you to take care of me. But yeah. when you could do that and still have the nice bedside manner, that's like a, 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 a bone, a bonus there. Um, let's talk a little bit about burnout, you know, early in your career, you talk about medical school and, you know, the early days of, of doing internships and all the other pieces yeah. of that. Were there Telltale signs that you were able to recognize in yourself and maybe with some of your your colleagues, your your you know contemporaries, your counterparts. Mm. I I didn't, to be totally honest, Adam. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, it was happening to me. It's like if you put a, a frog in a in a pot of boiling water and you slowly turn the boiling up, you don't recognize what's happening. So I was that frog in the pot, and it was only after the fact when I was literally broken down on the floor crying after you know, care, caring for thousands of people, hiding my own mental health struggles from other people, uh, basically not, not having any sense of hope for my own future. Like there was no, there was warning signs, but I didn't see them until it was just about too late. Uh, but if I look back at him to your question, and if you were watching me, you would have seen warning signs. You would have seen a guy who used to be happy and fun and kind of silly being really serious all the time. You would have seen a guy who used to have a lot of friends and love to talk being real quiet, avoiding social situations, spending a lot of time, you know, away the, from the people. opposite of yourself. Yeah. The opposite of myself. You would have seen me losing my, my basic core identity over time. And I wish I would have had somebody just kind of pointed out to me. So let me ask you that at the, at the time where you, were you, you know, in a relationship yet, like where, where were you, were there, were there people around you who either didn't recognize it or they didn't feel comfortable. I mean, th yeah. this is kind of, kind of foreshadowing where our conversation is going to go in a little bit, yeah. you know, were the people around you too scared, not, con I don't want to say not concerned. Cause I assume that you were surrounded by loved ones, but why did they not see the telltale signs or did they, did they try? They were in, they were in the pot themselves. Uh, so right. uh, professionally, I, I, and I'm guessing now because we didn't talk about it. So how can you know what someone else is feeling unless you ask them? But if I think back, it, uh, one of my stages in my career was at Harvard and I didn't never considered myself a name Harvard dropper. Person. No, I'm, but I'm <laughs> saying it for a reason. <laughs> it's Friday, man. You called me out. You called me out. There's a reason I'm using the word Harvard here. And it's because maybe it was that time I was teaching at Harvard. <laughs> Put on my bow tie. <laughs> I used to wear a bow tie every day, by the way. Um, That's cool. And so, but the, but the point of that was that, you're harnessing your Robin Williams, right? You were kind of going there a little bit. Patch Adams a little bit. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I, 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 I'm, I'm Adam, away from the having, microphone. We're having too much fun. This is I'm good. walking away from the microphone. Get so away I, I from talk. The, step away from the mic. <laughs> yeah. So, but the point is that it's some of these like uh, the highbrow hoity-toity places. That's the exact place where everybody has to pretend like they have it all together, right? You're and so there's this thing called imposter syndrome where we're all walking around like we know everything when in fact we're we're not even paying attention to our own emotions. Mm -mm. And so. Um, so to answer your question, I think that everybody else was going through it themselves and we just didn't know how to talk about it. And you asked about relationships, great question. I think I had a girlfriend or two at the time and you know, it was long distance between New York and Boston, so they didn't really understand what was happening either. Uh, it was only after the fact when I 
when a loved one it was my sister um, who was the one to say to me, you know, I've noticed a change happening in you. And have you ever thought about getting help? Yeah, and that so. hit me really hard because it, it, I just never had thought about that. And, and she helped me overcome that obstacle to seeking mental health help, which is a huge stigma. It's something that even to talk to you here about this live in front of tens of thousands of people, Adam, it's Hopefully. a big deal. And I'm doing it on purpose because I want people out there to know even your doctor needs help sometimes. And unless we can start to talk about these things in a real way, we're not going to deal with this crisis right now of mental health that we're facing during COVID. I have a, we, we have a good buddy. I don't know if he's watching right now. Um, my buddy, Doc Adam, who is an emergency room doc. And, and, and to, to watch him go through the last year has been insane. And, and we talk all the time. And I say, I'm like, I'm like, and he's in the ER. I'm like, how do you see this day in and day out? Like, how do you, how do you compartmentalize? And I mean, you're not in the ER, but you're still seeing, let's call it what it is. You're some, you're seeing the worst of humanity, the worst mm-hmm. part of humanity. And like, yeah. I don't care how thick skin you are. That has to take a toll. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. when you go from the scrubs into your home clothes, how do you compartmentalize or don't you? Mm-hmm. And how much weight is that? To think about, you know, we're human. We think about the suffering. We think about someone that you had in your office today that you know doesn't have long to live. Irreversible. Mm-hmm. Their last days are upon them. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I can't. I, I can't even imagine that. Like that's tremendous. How, how do you, how do you deal with that, Doc? I, I think about it in in really in three ways, you know. And I and in order to deal with it, it really takes a lot of strategy and intention. Because if you just walk into that. It could hit you like a ton of bricks and you end up just numbing yourself out and putting up barriers. That's what most people do. That compartmentalization that you referred to, many people just take that too far. and They put up the walls and then they, they reach their deathbed and they never took the walls down. And they look around, they say, where's my loved ones? Where's my friends? Where's my family? And it's because those walls were up. And so what I recognized, Adam, was that I wanted to take those walls down because they were keeping me from really connecting. And so what I do, I get up in the morning, I say to myself, I'm going to face some challenges today, and some of them are going to be really hard, life and death stuff. And guess what? I'm privileged to be able to be on that space, in that space of life and death, right there with people, because I can hold people's hand, I can look them in the eye, and I can—I don't stop doing what I do when somebody's dying. That's just the beginning, because I take it more to an existential or a spiritual level. Like my job isn't over. I want to help people heal their emotional hearts as well. And then the second <coughs> step, Adam, is. When I'm in that moment, like you're saying, compartmentalizing, let's say somebody's heart is stopping or part of my job is literally I stop someone's heart and then I jumpstart it when it's irregular. And I have to be honest, you know, I, I get a little scared in that moment. Like what if things don't go right, right? How can't, how can't you? And you're so human. what I do in that moment is I just recognize, I take a deep breath, kind of feel my feet on the floor, I relax my shoulders. And I just, I just have some trust in myself in my skills and my study, my preparation and I also have a trust in my team. I've got nurses around me. I've got the equipment. So at some point when you've got all, you've done all your homework, you've done all your preparation, you're doing the best you can. At that point, you face reality as it is. And then at the end of the day, if bad things happen, and I'll tell you, I've seen more people die this year than I have in my 20 years of practice because of COVID. At the end of the day, I do what we all try to do. You know, I, I try to go for a walk. I pet my dogs. I say hi to my wife. I try to be nice to my kids. And I don't always succeed. Sometimes I come home and I'm a jerk. And I recognize it's because I carry this stuff with me. I did not, I did not bring my best self home. And, and I'm constantly, every day, Adam, I'm working on this. It's, it's not easy. And I'm, I'm still figuring it out. 
Yeah, and I think I think I think this applies to to a lot of us, um, especially in the medical field. But the idea of, of of not taking your work home with you, and especially now in the last year where those lines have blended, and almost all of us are working from home, and we don't have that separation. I've been guilty of it. My wife's been guilty of it. Where you can't separate work from home. And there's days when I take work home with me and there's days that I take out stress and frustration on. It's so much easier to take out stress and frustration on the people closest to you than a complete stranger because mm-hmm. you know how they're going to deal with it. If I get into a road rage in- incident when I when I leave here, I don't know if some crazy lunatic's going to pull out a gun and shoot me. So I'm a little bit more conservative. So it's mm-hmm. our default to take it out on the people that are closest to us. And I can't even imagine in your field, different levels of stress. Like if I lose a recruiting deal, that's nothing. If you lose someone's life, that's a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. It's so true what you said. And that brings up the issue of boundaries and barriers. And there's a lot of rituals, things that I do, very practical if anyone's watching, you know, what you can do with that sort of blending of lines. And for me, throughout the day, I build in these little moments where I'm just like, okay, I know there's been some stress going on. How can I create a separation in this moment? You know, if you do get to go to work and come home, that moment could be when you pull up to your driveway or pull up to your apartment. It could be like for me, when I knock on the door or when I turn the key to my house, that's like a signal to my brain. All right, I'm entering into a new place right here. Let me drop all the mental baggage so I don't bring that baggage with me. So I do a lot of, and I also meditate too, and I do yoga and all that stuff. You need it. And the practice for that is just practicing, noticing when my thoughts are not these moments thoughts, they're thoughts from an hour ago, and I don't wanna bring them with you. Like when I came to see you today, Adam, I came here with like a fresh mind, a fresh heart. I didn't I wanna think that. about the, 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 the meetings that I had before. I wanna experience you as you are in this moment. Does that Thank make sense? You. No, I appreciate that. And you talk about rituals, it's so interesting. And, and that's a practice I do. Like, I remember the, it was uh, maybe a year ago or something, I came home and it was either my wife, my mother-in-law, my nanny, I forgot who it was, and they're like, you were sitting in your car for the last five minutes. And I, and I, and I said, I needed to, I wasn't ready to come in the house yet. And it wasn't just cause I wanted to finish listening to that song on the radio. It wasn't that I just, I just needed a minute to decompress. I needed a minute to, to reset and say, I'm now shifting to home. My kids are going to run towards me and I want to be my best self when I get to, to the door. So you have committed, let's shift a little bit to truly focusing on healing the heart of healthcare. I love that tagline. Tell us what that means to you and your mission. When I think about healthcare, I think about our current system, which is geared towards fixing things that are broken. You know, you go to the doctor and often you can be treated like a machine. Oh, you got this problem. Let me fix it. I'll give you a medicine, do a drug and go on your way. And that's just not how humans work. We've got these emotional hearts. We've got thoughts. And I really have experienced this myself as a patient because I've been to doctors that the majority of healing happens not from any medicine, not from any test. It happens because it's that deep emotional connection that I get. It's that therapeutic relationship. So what I mean by healing the heart of healthcare is when you go to see your doctor or see your nurse, sometimes you feel like you're rushed. Sometimes you feel like you can't even communicate with the doctor. You feel like you're just like a machine in a system. And so if we can look at that space, that one little space behind the closed door of healing, kind of like this space we have right now, How would it be, Adam, if other people were sort of barging into this conversation and yelling things out and saying, you know, I want you to pay this money and do that? We've got a a lot of people who are in in this room. So that's one. The other thing about healing the heart of healthcare is recognizing 
that the providers are human beings. We are not superheroes. I, I, know, I know everyone loves to say, oh, you're a hero, you're a hero, but there's a subtle, subtle disservice that happens when you call a doctor a hero because the traditional hero has total perfection, total mastery, always strong, can never be weak, vulnerable, or cry. I wanna change the conversation to allow the doctors and nurses to be human beings, just like you, just like patients, and, and not even think of you as a patient. Can we just be two humans together communicating on a heart level? For me, that's what healing the heart of healthcare is about. And it also involves training our next generation of leaders. You know, instead of having a healthcare leader who's focused solely on money and making profits, can we focus more on people, focus on the emotions of our people so we create teams that feel safe to communicate these things? Otherwise, I can tell you, unless we create organizations where teams feel comfortable talking to each other, where leaders can really put themselves out there in a vulnerable way, we're going to still have an old-fashioned system where it's top-down, command and conquer, and everybody gets treated like a machine. So I'm looking at a radically different view. Dude, thank you. Thank you for taking this lead. So what actions are you taking to, to take that step forward and be that leader in your industry? There's two places. So I've got, I've got a foot in two places. So I'm working for an amazing healthcare system. It's called Novant Health. It's got 30,000 uh, team members. We take care of millions of patients. And because of some of this work, I've been asked to take a more uh, prominent role in the organization, leading what's called the Organizational Resilience and Wellbeing Team with my mentor and my boss. His name is Tom Jenicky. He's the head wellness officer for the entire organization. So together with our partners, we're creating programs that are looking after the emotional health of our nurses, our doctors, our pharmacists who are stressed out. These look like we've got websites with resources. We've developing apps that are gonna be real-time conversation. We lead retreats, so half-day retreats, three-day off-site retreats. We're literally gonna be stepping taking- away. Step Stepping away, step away. Stepping away. We've gotten funding from foundations, literally taking the nurses and doctors on the front lines, pulling them off the front lines for three days at a time, and just saying, this is about you. Let's give you time to look within, restore yourself, and we do coaching there. And then my other hat is on the side. I have my own company. It's called Mind Heart Now. And with a partner in California, we've created this community called the Ending Physician Burnout Global Community. We've got thousands of members in just a year. And I already held what I call the mini summit with 330 healthcare CEOs, chief HR officers who've attended. We had a summit back in February. And this August, I'm really excited for this. It's the very first in the world global summit dedicated to this problem, ending physician burnout. And I realized Tremendous. my strength my strength isn't solving all the problems. My strength is being able to speak to people who would never have communicated before, bringing people together to feel comfortable, to look at the problem from all angles, not just saying, oh, do more yoga, and that's going to make you better. Yeah. No, we go, go yoga at, is not the solution. That's not the solution. we got to look at healthcare finance. We have to look at policy, leadership, all these things. So this summit is going to be online for three days this summer. Incredible. Uh, so, so commendable. Um, and you were doing this before COVID. I was. Yeah, this is something so, that I started before COVID. The rate so, of burnout was 50% roughly before COVID. You can only guess what so, it's going to be like after. I, so yeah, so let, let's let's talk about the past year for for a moment. And and healthcare workers pushed redlining beyond anyone's. I mean, the the, the stress level, not even just the hours and the work, but the conditions. You know, I don't think anybody can even fathom what it's like to wear an N95 mask for eighteen hours straight, sweating. Like what that's like in there in the presence of it. The 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 fear that you could get it yourself 
and bring it home to your loved ones. All these factors that compound together on top of seeing a pandemic that we've never seen in our lifetime, mm-hmm. seeing friends, family, relatives, people, people dying and being sick that they can't see their loved ones one last time. The mental, the mental anguish that goes into that. Talk to us a little bit about what you've experienced and how you're helping others in your field. You described it so perfectly, Adam. There, there's so many factors here. You hit upon really a key piece, which is now we are becoming disconnected because of the restrictions. I mean, I've been with patients who were at the edge of life and death, and they couldn't be with a loved one. So you have to you get a telephone or something like that. Um, fortunately, I you know I don't see that as much as the real front of the front lines, like your friend who's an emergency room doctor, or my intensive care unit doc uh, friends. So that really is the hardest part because without that connection, without having the families present and the friends present, it can actually make the condition worse. The other part, and this is huge, and, and you're playing a role here as somebody in the media, there's not just a pandemic, there's an infodemic. There's so much bad information being spread about vaccines, about this and that and the other thing. Misinformation. It's yeah. misinformation. And and I don't want to say some of it's intentional, but people have not- There's always, agendas. There's agendas. There's agendas media, going on. Yeah. And so, Adam, if you had to guess what the number one cause of burnout is right now, you'd be surprised. It's no longer lack of PPE or anything like that. One of the number one causes of burnout among healthcare providers is the misinformation that we have to fight against every day to say, please, just read the research, trust science. We, we, can, we can back it up. And if science is wrong, well, that's what science is. Science admits when it's wrong and it says, let's try a different way. So, uh, so I yeah. really love what you're doing, don't, Adam. Don't get thank. I mean, I, I mean, the misinformation out there. I mean, I, I don't want to get too into it, but when people challenge with masks, and I go, it's not about you. If you don't wear the mask, it's not about you not wearing the mask. It's about the people that feel more comfortable wearing the mask. It's being a, a good member of society. It's okay. It's okay to not believe in it. You're entitled to feeling that. But what you're not entitled to do is disrespect someone else's feelings and how they want to be in public. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that, 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 that's how I feel. And, and it's just been, you know, absolutely insane. So let me ask you, we're not going to get into the, the COVID per se. We're not going to talk about the vaccine. Do you feel optimistic that we are heading in the right direction and there's a light at the end of the tunnel? I am a total optimist <laughs> until the, till my dying day, I'm going to be an optimist. I, and, and frankly, I used to not be an optimist. I think when I was a kid, I was, and then I lost it somewhere along my training. It got beaten out of me, you know, very hopeless. Uh, I cling to my optimism. I'm very hopeful. You know, we've got good people in the world, all across the world, working together at a at a breakneck pace. Number one, to develop a vaccine faster than ever. Number two, to combat the misinformation, and and number three, to support the mental health of our our patients, our community, and also our caregivers. So, I am incredibly optimistic about our future uh, right now. That that's great. And what can we do as patients to be mindful of our doctor's mental health. Is there anything we can do as patients? There's one thing you can do and it's going to make such a big difference. And whenever my patients do this, I just, I almost want to cry sometimes when I go into the room and I'm saying, you know, how are you? It's so good to see you today. And they'll answer the question. Then they'll look me in the eyes, my patients, and they'll say, thank you. How are you? How are you really doing? And they pause and they really, when they really want to know, just hits me right here. And it makes all the difference in the world. That's the thing that you can do. I love it, Doc. And before I bring on my next guest, how, how could we help support your cause? I would say you can you can join us. So first of all, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I love LinkedIn. I've been there for a year. So find me there. And you can find me anywhere on the internet. Look up Happy Heart MD, and you'll find 
YouTube channel, Instagram, etc. And if you're in healthcare, join the summit where we've got a global group on Clubhouse, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. It's called Ending Physician Burnout. You can get all the information about the summit. I love it. Hang with me for a moment here. I just want to bring in Courtney. I'm going to bring you in right now. Say hello. Courtney, Hi, how's how it going? Are you? Courtney, meet Dr. Jonathan Fisher. Hi, Dr. Jonathan Fisher. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Courtney. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. I read a little bit about what you do. So again, thank you for all that you do. And yeah, incredible. And I, and I love and I love bringing different groups together. It's really interesting. Let's talk about that for one second, if you don't mind, Courtney. Um, there are a few doctors out there on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Dr. Brian that I'm connected to down in Miami, uh, gastrointestinal, um, really utilizing LinkedIn. And there's not a lot of doctors that are using their voice on it. So uh, keep doing that. Keep spreading that good word. Right, because it's a it's an opportunity to have good voices, thought leadership shine in an area that's saturated with, with business content. I try to mix it up and I try to provide scientific <laughs> information. Sometimes I tell personal stories, so, and sometimes I you know talk about these amazing programs. And I think social media is where it's at because we can spread good information and we can accelerate change in a way that we couldn't before LinkedIn and other social media platforms. I love it. Keep at it. Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Fisher, I appreciate you for coming on the show. Let's stay connected. I'll link up everybody in the comments afterwards. Have a great weekend and keep fighting the good cause. Be safe. And thank you for everything that you do for all of us out there. Thanks so much, Adam. Take care, Courtney. Bye. Dr. Thank you. Jonathan nice Fisher, everybody. Courtney. Hi. What's happening? How's it going? It's going pretty well. How about yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's Friday. Um, my calendar doesn't look like a Friday. It's so funny. Like we talk about this all the time. I'm like, oh, Friday, I'm going to wind it down. Maybe I'll block it out. Maybe I'll like have a casual Friday. That's that's not happening. That's I like to ramp it up on a Friday. You know, <laughs> you can just like roll into the weekend with some good momentum. Yeah. And actually so relax a bit rather than having this like thought of all the things that you need to do on Monday. It's interesting that you say that um, because I agree with you. I like to get as much done as I can on a Friday so it's not lingering into a Monday. I don't want to be be lingering into that. And I'm one of those people that I equally look forward in my life to the weekend. And I equally look forward on a Sunday now. And I wrote, wrote about this last week, actually. I look forward to Mondays. I love what I do for a living. I love this business that I created. So I'm, I'm excited and anxious for that. So before we go forward, forward, let's take a quick second. I'd love if you could introduce yourself to my tribe. Tell us who you are, Courtney, and what you do best. Yes, uh, I am Courtney Seard, and I am a performance coach and a mindset and leadership trainer. And what I do best is taking people from where they are and getting them to where they want to be. And I also work really well with helping companies create, identify, and really just nurture their culture. So that's kind of, that's the business part of who I am, you know, because we have business. our business personas, then we have our, our personal personas. And uh, a little bit about me personally. I love to have a good time. I like to dance and laugh. Laughter is extremely important to me. Um, learning is important. Reading. I'm kind of like a science nerd and I love NASA. So, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, you love NASA, right? Yes. Ho hold on one second. I'm going to show you. They have a channel that I actually watch. <laughs> oh, hold on. Ch ch check this out. Hold on. Hold on. So I got. So right here, I'm building the International Space Station. So I do this in between calls, my Lego International Space Station. Hold on. Right on. It's showing, it's showing tell on the podcast right now, which is awesome. And hold on, everybody. I'm right here. 
So every every year I buy myself a birthday present, a Lego birthday set. So this is Whoa. the uh, the space shuttle, and it's it's massive. I can't even tell you. It's like it's like three thousand pieces. Have you started yet? No, I have not started. I have not started on that yet, and because I, I don't have the time. But that's kind of the thing. I have my, I have my new office here, so I have these Lego sets, and I'm gonna build them in piecemeal when I need a couple of minutes to like take a a mental break when I need to just kind of tune out for a little bit. That's my therapy. And I've been doing it since I was a little kid. That's my Lego therapy. I focus on it. It takes me away from what I was doing before. So let me ask you, you know, re rewind your career a little bit. I was, I'm always interested in that journey into, you know, true coaching. Take us back a little bit. And how did you get into this field? So um, I actually started out with like my first job. I was 13 and I did bookkeeping for a Bible bookstore. And it was interesting. It was a pastor and he let me kind of have free reign and a lot of creativity in the business area of kind of helping actually like you should sell books this way. You should sell that. Like Amazon was just starting to like come up. I'm 44. So I'm a little bit older than I look. Um, then I worked for Fox Sports Chicago um, as the assistant to their director of planning and administration, doing a lot of administrative back office business stuff. Um, unfortunately, at 24, I was hit by a car, flatline, lost all feeling in my left side, um, was told that I was never going to live without pain again. I was always going to be on medication. That was the greatest um, catalyst that I needed because right after that, I don't recommend it. I threw all the medication away. I started down like a holistic uh, route and really started to understand alternative therapy as well as the power of the mind. Um, however, I segmented those two parts of myself. Um, I went to massage school, craniosacral, all of these different things. But then I went back to uh, business. So I did like business um, directing for uh, a design build company. Then I worked for a social media company in Seattle. It was sold. And then I went back to consulting, but doing more virtual operations kind of you know, letting companies realize that operations is kind of like a cost leader. So you can piecemeal it until you're ready working with startups. Right. And I loved what I was doing, but people weren't actually doing what I was telling them to do. They were excited. They were happy. They all said they were going to make these changes, but they weren't actually implementing them. And then I realized that there was a part of my life that I was doing that too. So I started to look at the thinking behind how we obtain success. I had an incredible partner at the time. He put me through an NLP training and all of the lights went off. I instantly started to go down that rabbit hole. Um, I studied all the way to the trainer level. Uh, I worked with the NLP company. I completely ditched my old consultancy and started re um, reaching out to the companies and to working with the leaders and their brains and their mindset. Mm. And changing how you're thinking, but also changing the strategies that you're doing throughout the day, because we all have strategies behind how we do things. And realizing that you have everything that you need if you, one, learn how to organize yourself properly. Two, you're actually willing to, quote unquote, play the game. That's and three, word. if you let go of the parachutes or the things that are holding you back. So. A lot of my my work has all been word of mouth. Everything that I've done has been organic and the clients as well. And I just love what I do. It's kind of like you say, um, you get jazzed on a Monday. Um, I actually take Mondays off because I do a lot of work on the weekends working with executives. However, it, I love the work that I do. So Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, Tuesdays are great. But I love the work that I do. And I know I was put on the planet to do this. 
That's your purpose. I was always, it. Yeah, it was my purpose. I was always showing up in this role, even as a child, having advice, <clears throat> giving people great ideas, thinking outside of the box and, you know, having that go-getter attitude. So it just naturally makes sense that I'm doing what I'm doing now. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And if you don't mind, let's, uh, if you could give an overview, um, I have a, I have a good idea, but what is, what is the, what are the study, what is the study of NLP and how do yes. we apply that to, to practical business success? So bottom line, NLP, I'll give, break it down to you. N is neuro. Neuro is how your brain works. We all have a brain and it works and we all Most have internal representational systems. If you think about you smell, you touch, you taste, all of that goes even into our language. And that goes to the L, linguistic. The words that we use not only define the world that we currently have now, it's actually going to define the world that you're going to get. And then programming. We're all programmed to something, right? So it's identifying the current program that you're running, seeing if it's working for you. And if it's not, then going in and tweaking strategies, tweaking things, and giving you a better program so that you can elicit the change and get the results that you want in your life. And I help all my clients feel better. You are excited. You're happy. But at the end of the day, I'm an outcomes person. And it's helping people get their outcomes. So then we go down and break into strategy. So that is what NLP is. It's a fancy long word, but For no one is taught to think about how they think. Yeah, it's crazy when you when you unpack it, but when you have systems that'll help you improve and be better and optimize and, and be strong and give you the framework. It's it's the framework and the tools to get you where you you want to go. And it's fascinating. I've done some research and I, I have some friends that are involved and I've done some exercises within NLP. Um, and it's helped me. I think the problem is my my kind of combination of ADD and OCD. Whenever I try to do something, it's like, all right, just kind of kind of stick with it. Um how do you you mentioned word of mouth. But mm-hmm. so, so a potential client uh, comes to you. How do you know if someone is going to be a good client? How do you know if they're coachable? What's kind of that process? Well, not everyone is a client. I would say probably out of 10, indivi- seven out of 10 individuals don't end up working with me. And actually that's great because you want the right people to work with you, especially if you're word of mouth. And what I do is there is a long list of kind of hoops. It's called task work. We get on the phone, I talk about you know what the process is, what we're going to do, and kind of go into the steps of what the three-month engagement or six-week engagement or the year engagement looks like. And then I send a, a list of task work. And I give a time and a date when all of it's due back. And if you miss it, then I cannot work with you for a year. Now, if you tell Why, because they're not committed? Are they shown because well, they're not? Because listen, this is the thing. A lot of people want to want to change but they don't actually want to change. And when you talk to me, all of your little things in your unconscious mind are going to pop up, the fears, the doubts, the worries. And I need to know that you're going to do whatever it takes. And filling out a form of two hours that deep dives into what do you want? What's holding you back? If you aren't willing to sit down and do that, you're not willing to work with me. It's commitment. It's exactly. It's commitment. You have to be committed to yourself and committed to me. And a lot, I tell a lot of my, um, the people that I coach with in the beginning, there are going to be moments where you cannot stand me because I'm going to be pushing you up against your point of the point that you always stop your block. I'm not going to listen to your excuses. I'm not going to be another person to, 
you know, play along in your reasons as to why you don't have. You're, you're not here to agree with them. You're not here no. to be their cheerleader. And that, I say that about coaching all the time. You want somebody, whether whether it's NLP or business coaching or life coaching, it's someone that's going to hold you accountable. Someone who could look from a 30,000 foot view outside of your blinders, what you can't see and help you. And if you're not open to that, then you're not open to coaching. And you got a lot more inside work to do before you could get to that point. And that's okay. Because maybe that was the point of the exercise to get you to that next point of understanding that. But I want I want to I want to kind of go back and 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 talk about comfort zones. Right. I am a true believer that real growth does not happen until you hit the brink and step over that line of the comfort zone. I mean, I know for me for example, I didn't see exponential growth in my business until I pushed myself to do things outside of the lines that I normally would do from a comfort perspective. Tell us your thoughts on that. Of comfort zones. I agree. I mean, there's a level. You have your comfort zone. Then there is the uncomfortable area where you're stretching yourself. Then there's that stressor where you're completely stressed out. Now, I don't think that anyone grows in that stress point, but that fine point in between when you're doing things that you are have never done before, you're showing up, you're pushing yourself. That is the only way you're going to grow because that is actually how the unconscious mind works. It needs to be pushed. It needs new things to accomplish new results. And of course, a lot of those things that you're doing aren't you, but you have to do things differently in order to get things that you've never had. It seems so simple, but everyone, right? Isn't that the definition of insanity? Repeating the same task and expecting different results. And people do this all the time. They think if I keep doing the same thing, something's going to change. If I work hard, it's not the level of effort. It's what the actions you are doing. Those Absolutely. micro, those micro tweaks create macro change. And that, and that's, Amen. That, that's, I tell that's people all the time maker. when you, most people, why are you overwhelmed? Because you're looking at things too big. You know, if you set yourself up for a fall and that's also a part of the unconscious process, a lot of people are addicted to feeling bad and they continue to put themselves in that loop. And when you begin to move outside of yourself, you're going to want to pull back into that old way of being. And I just think that it's fascinating when I watch people, you know, legitimately self-sabotage themselves, you know, and not believe that they're worth it or have the confidence to go in and make it work. Talk about self-sabotage for a minute. It's um, it's funny. I've been a victim of that, I think, early on in my career. And even now, I, I've been able to recognize the signs of it being a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think there's a huge power to... Uh, and I'm not trying to be all Oprah here and the power of believing, not the secret or anything, but I believe in manifesting. And that could work in both directions. That could work in a negative direction. And lately, I've been manifesting all these positive things in my life and really putting my mind to it. And I'm seeing how it actually works. Because when you, when you think it, you're taking the subconscious actions that you may not, you're not realizing it. They're subconscious that are getting you in that direction and moving you down the path that you're always meant to go on. And I think people need folks like yourself who are professionally trained in this to help them focus because not everyone could do it. And I, I have know, a coach to help me focus. Like co coaches have the best coaches have coaches. We talk about this all the time. Beyonce, Tiger, any 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 top performing athlete, celebrity, business person. Steve Forbes has a business had a business coach, advisors, people around them. You have to. You, know, you, have, well, you, I mean, to... you can't see, you can't see outside of yourself. Right. And I am, I like change. I also like feedback. I like knowing what I'm not doing well so that I can tweak it. But 10 years ago, I didn't. Hmm. And you can start to create these ways of being 
where you can invite that. And the thing that you didn't like before that was actually hindering you, you can begin to love. <laughs> it's embracing, embracing your faults. Yes. Figuring out what your weaknesses are and, and, and making a decision if they're worth focusing on to fix or are you going to move forward and double down on those strengths? I believe in doubling down on the strengths, like looking at some weaknesses and obviously tweaking them. However, again, focus, you get what you focus on. So focus on what you want. And it's all about how you feel. And if you're consistently looking at your weaknesses and you feel bad and you feel defeated and you're not moving forward, and a lot of people do do that, you're not going to move ahead. There is power in your strengths. And I actually am doing a leadership course and I did a Gallup Strength Finder. And there were certain strengths that I found about myself that were surprising. Like and there were certain weaknesses that I had that I actually thought if were you don't, strengths. If, if, you don't, if you don't mind sharing. Uh-huh. If you don't mind sharing. Oh, what, what my strength yeah. was. Um, actually, number one, I am someone who likes to create um, agreeability. So I like to relate with people. I'm a relator, number one. And then second, I'm strategic. Uh, three, I am a positive person, which would make sense. And then four, I am, um, I think, what was it? <laughs> deliberate, like I'm deliberate in the things that I do, which I also agree with. And then five was, um, I can't remember five. It wasn't memory. Five. No, it was not memory. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and if you, and if you're open to sharing some of the weaknesses and your outlook and approach on those. Uh, some of my weaknesses were patience. Like that was like my number one weakness was patience. And that's something that I'm extremely aware of. Um, my second weakness was a bit of compassion, uh, which I actually find somewhat funny. And then third was also empathy. And I also found that to be funny. However, when I look at how I approach my life and even some of the feedback that I get from people, I grew up, I had a very rough upbringing and I've had a lot of tragedy happen to me. And I kind of look at what happens next. And I think that is like, that's a part of my story. And I've had people say that I, you know, you exude toxic positivity, you know, whatever. So I'm not necessarily that compassionate of people's excuses. And I don't have a lot of empathy for, you know, you consistently telling me why you can't have it or so I understand why those are some of my weaknesses. Do I want to change them? Absolutely. To a point. Right? I'm For nodding. Me, I, I, I'm nodding with you because I'm aligning with you so much on a couple of these things here. Let's let's break down. I want to talk about patience for a moment here. That's one of my I'm not a patient person. And I don't have patience for people that that don't respect time, that don't respect deliverables. That's like a a big, a big thing for me, a pet peeve, punctuality. You know, when you say you're going to send me something or give something or do something at a certain time, that irks my soul. It happened to be yesterday. My daughter's iPad broke and the guy said he would fix it by the nighttime and it was 24 hours later and it wasn't done. I'm like, don't tell me that. That's not managing expectations. And I can't I can't process that internally. And I know that's that like I can't control external factors. That's another big piece. Like being able to say I cannot control how fast that guy moves to fix that iPad. So I need to control how I react to that. But if you flip it around, there's a positive to that with patience because I could use it as a superpower too to get things done efficiently and drive the train forward. The empathy thing is, is interesting. Let's talk about the empathy piece in regards to excuses. 
I could kind of relate to that as well because I don't have a very high threshold for other people's excuses for things that I think are bullshit excuses for why. So there's another reason why you can't get that done. Don't tell me that you can't go out there and get that job. Don't tell me why your job search is sucking. Are you doing this? Are you not doing that? Are you putting in the work for that job search? Because I've been there before. You've been there before with tragedies in your life and you're talking to people who have been through that stuff. So don't come to me and say you didn't do that because I know you can. And I'm going to help you do that and tell you how I learned through a process to get to that point. And I think that's what makes a great coach, Courtney. Exactly. I mean, you. everyone has, I believe that excuses are actually rooted in fear. Period. Elaborate, please. I believe that most people are afraid to either be successful or to fail. They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of doing things differently. There are so many fear sets that you misname and mislabel. And I think that it all boils down to that. Because if you knew that you could do anything that you wanted and you'd be successful, and yeah, maybe you might not get it at the first bite, but if you continue to try with good strategy and tweaking, why would you not? And I think that also our society, we're running a massive fear program. I mean, what do you mean? everything, you should be afraid of everything, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's weird to me because that's, it actually is harming to the unconscious mind. You begin to release neurotoxins. And when you're afraid, your focus narrows and you run out of ideas and things to do. And you kind of spiral down into this like scary place. And a lot of individuals who make excuses, I say there are either yep. reasons or results. And I've always, like I was doing a coaching segment for this organization of women leaders. And a lot of these women were talking about being laid off and I'm not a career coach. I'm not as apt in searching as you are, but I was giving them certain ideas. And every single time it was excuses as to why they couldn't do it. And once we got down to the nugget is they were afraid. They were afraid to show up differently as something that they were because of the story they were telling themselves in their head. And nine times out of 10, if you walk out and you actually do that thing, you reach out to that person, you contact, you follow up, you're going to get it. It's so interesting you talk about the chemical component of fear, that it actually releases, the, the emotion of fear releases a chemical in the body that makes your brain act and affect in a certain way. Not just your brain, it actually affects well, the, the your whole, entire system. The whole body, the tensing up your emotions, everything about that. And, and, right, and, and I tell people, to recognize. when they have anxiety, for instance, anxiety is... You worrying about the future, not working out the way you want it. Plain and simple. Nobody has anxiety about things being excellent and great and fun and them nailing it. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm going to pause on that for a second. I, I'm going I'm I'm to open up here a little bit. I've been having anxiety about success. I have been, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. Own horn here. Luckily enough, knock on wood, the last couple of months have been fantastic. Things are starting to fall into place. Things are moving in the right direction. Opportunities are presenting themselves and I'm taking advantage of them in the right way. And it's an anxiety of, not that I don't think I can't do it because I know I can. I've never had that problem before, but it's almost like an, an excitement and an overwhelming of like how much more I have to do. I know I have to do it and I know I could get it done, but there's definitely a level of anxiety where it's affecting my sleep. It's affecting my mood. and it's all positive, but I think it's because I'm experiencing something new that I've never had before. What, 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 
I mean, what are your thoughts on well, that? First, someone... I wouldn't define it as anxiety. I mean, when we label ourselves as something as anxiety, you're excited. And every time I've been excited when I was younger in my life, or even now when something is good going on, I do wake up earlier. I do wake up in the middle of the night. I have more energy. I'm more pumped. I want it to go. I'm more careful and I have more care and concern about it. So there's this feeling of like popcorn in my system. However, I got, analogy. From, right, I got away from labeling it anxiety or fear because I realized when I put those labels on there, I'd feel it differently in my body. I'd think about things differently and I would move differently in the world. I'm excited about this. Me, me I'm so too. excited that this is going on. And now I need to carve some time out so I can sit down and plan and put together a good strategy, good execution, good roadblocks so that I can actually make this happen. And that's yeah. probably what you need to do is write it down because that's I, another I, thing. When people have things over and over and over in their head, your unconscious mind wants you to write it down. I, I, I am a big writer and and I'm a big fan of, um, I mean, you want to get tactical here. I love post-it notes. These, I go through about 10 of these a day on a good day. That means things are going in the right direction. And it's interesting. And I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for me because I am excited. And there's a reason when I when I roll over at 6.15 in the morning versus normally 7.15 and I'm up and thinking about the day and the good things and what's happening here and running the business and growing everything, that that's all positive stuff. And it's all about just being organized and being able to action on it the, the right way and continue um, to, to build that momentum. So talk to us a little bit about, in your experience with your clients, how the last year has really affected performance and some of those red flags that we could look for as far as burnout or things that are taking us out of our charted course the way we should be going and how do we deal with them? Um, yeah, I think the performance piece has been huge. A lot of individuals- yeah, Let's focus on have, that. They've actually, in my opinion, ramped up performance, the people that I've worked with. Um, I'm very fortunate to have individuals who are extremely scrappy and kind of saw this opportunity to shine and reevaluate their life. I think some of that too is that we worked together throughout that time frame. Um, I think a lot of people are excited about things kind of picking up again and ramping Life up. Life returning to somewhat normal. Returning, too. not even to somewhat normal, but I was laughing with a friend last night. I was like, you know, this time last year, you were speaking as if the world was almost over. And I said, in less than a year, here we are, you know, and hmm. the, the, the sky didn't fall chicken little. And I think that that is something that everyone needs to look at, even when they're moving out. Like if you say your job, job search is going to be terrible and you're not going to get anything and everything is going to be terrible, then you're going to actually create that. Because again, it's you're working with now the reticular activating system in your brain, the RAS, you get what you focus on. Speak it the way you want it is what I say. And I want to... Mm -hmm. Sorry, continue. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, I don't, the professional individuals that I'm working with, even the individuals that have had challenges, they took this time to pivot. So I've seen a lot of empowerment. And even within my businesses, there were things that, you know, fall, fell away. And I've been pivoting in other avenues and aspects and showing up differently. And it's been really cool. And I, I think it. necessity breeds invention or it breeds destruction. And I'm lucky and fortunate enough to be around people who have been inventive. I, I want to do something interesting, Justin. I'm gonna. I want to bring you in for a moment here because I want to talk about the the physical aspect here. I'm gonna bring in Justin. Justin, meet Courtney. He's probably putting on his microphone right now. Let me uh, give him a second to do that. And I want Justin. Could you hear me, Justin? 
Justin, you're muted. Justin is muted there. I think he's trying to figure it out there. There we go. Sorry, guys. Justin, what's happening? Welcome. Thank you so much. And I thought it'd be important to add your perspective here because you are a coach in a little bit different kind of capability and aspect here. So before we get your take on it, you've been listening along a little bit? I have, little? yes. Um, real quick, just kind of high-level overview of your background and your, your coaching uh, approach and perspective. So we could level set here. Yeah. So for about the last uh, 12 years, I was a performance director in the National Hockey League and uh, have always been focused on using data to help drive decisions that uh, we make from both the uh, mind and the body. And in doing so, really tapping into one level of measure, which is HRV and standing for heart rate variability. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what that ends up telling us is how the body's adapting to the stress and strain that we're placing under it. And in uh, doing that over the course of, like I said, about 10, 15 years in the uh, National Hockey League working with professional athletes from around the globe, I w was given the pleasure of presenting to one of the biggest um, companies in the world as well and their executive team. And when we took these same concepts and drove them over into the business sector, it clicked right away that, hey, we're looking at doing the exact same thing that you've been completing for athletes and now doing it for the same thing for everyday people on a regular day basis. Because at the end of the day, what, what shows us that we are doing the right things and it's energy. And if we can now manage energy and not time, Wow, I love we've it. all of a sudden been able to completely transform the way in which we show up on a day-to-day -day basis. I think the common thread between the two coaching approaches here, the two learnings, is the acknowledgement and the aware, the self-awareness and the recognition. Being able to have somebody present to you what's inside of you and be able to see it in front of you versus it being up here. I, th I, I mean, I think you're, you're hitting it exactly on the head is the uh, another component to what we do at Own It. And I think the, the whole coaching process now that we go through is um, there's a whole inner energy component. And we've now made that quantifiable where um, there's a there's seven levels of energy. This the, the seventh level, the very highest level that you can be at is, is true self-actualization. And that's the level of like Gandhi. It's a level of like um, a saint, somebody who is so self-intrinsic, self-actualized, uh, self-aware. We, we never stay on at level seven. And levels one and two are very catabolic, very conflict-oriented energy. Level seven being the anomaly on the other side, very self-actualized, very... Uh, self-aware and then everywhere in between is is a spectrum and knowing that the goal is to take ourselves further up and at least developed a uh, uh, basically an assessment tool that allows us to figure out where each one of us lives so that we can make those choices and those changes appropriately in in our life yes. and the more that we take those levels from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven the better everything else starts to flow for us as well. And, and I think that 
having multiple approaches that work the right for different people and the right coaching mindsets and the there's definitely the personality to to click with your with your coach there justin hang, hang with me for one moment here um courtney i, I want to thank you uh for joining us today i i, I want to continue our conversation offline for sure and and continue to build this where could folks connect with you where could they find you where could they learn more uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Courtney A. Seared. You can connect with me on Twitter at Courtney Seared. And then you can connect with me on Instagram at The Rise Planner. I don't, my personal Instagram page is private and I'm, that's how we roll. So that's how you can. <laughs> good on, good on you, man. I, yeah. I, so, uh, man, that's man. how you can Hold find it. me. And I'm really interested to kind of like hear more about what Justin does. However, my time is up. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great interview, Justin. And I'll talk to you later, Adam. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll link everybody up. And if you want to hang, feel free, feel free to hang. And uh, we'll continue with Justin. Courtney, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Wrong one. There we go. Hey, Justin, Justin, Justin. What's happening, man? Our, this is game two of our home and away doubleheader. Love it. I, I, feel like, I feel like we were just doing this earlier this week. Yeah, I think it was Monday. Welcome to my house. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How are you? Welcome. I I am doing well. It's been it's been a crazy week. I I I want to I want to kind of riff on this for a little bit. That's right. Time is moving fast. It is. Time is moving very fast. I this is so crazy. I remember I was kind of having this like mini epiphany the other day. I remember like living living in the city and I was working in corporate America and I was going to work every day and I literally would dread, I would dread, I would dread the next day. I would dread for me, Tuesday, Wednesday were the longest days. Tuesday and Wednesday were really long for me. And I just didn't enjoy doing what I was doing. I was hoping for the work week to end and then the weekend would come and then I get the Sunday scaries and I have to go back to that all again on a Monday. And now for me, I, I'm, I'm excited equally for the weekdays as the weekends. I, I love doing what I'm doing. I love coming to work. I love creating. I'll be honest, I love earning my own money and building my business. That excites me and drives me. And now all of a sudden, every day is Friday, which is kind of cool because Friday, I still look forward to working. And then I'm equally looking forward to the weekend to have more time with my family and my kids. And I was like, holy shit, am I getting older? Am I getting crazier? Like, <laughs> that was my, my mini epiphany. It's my show, so I get to rant a little bit and do my do my monologue. But uh, how you doing, man? <laughs> I, I'm doing great. And uh, I want to touch on what you just said, because there's something that you've done naturally that a lot of people are seeking, but yet don't know how to get there. And that story that you just gave, when you were working in corporate America, when you were doing that grind, as you will, you were just managing your time. Managing your time, managing your time. But by you making that drastic switch and now going, working for yourself, going and doing everything you're doing now, you've now changed to managing energy. And when we all of a sudden go to managing energy, time becomes obsolete. Time doesn't matter anymore. Because it doesn't matter if you need to stay up until 2 o'clock to get done what you need to get done. Fine. No get problem. I'll do it. Because it's... What is it's what fills you up. It's what that is at your core and you're going to do it in your own time. 
And thus, because you do it on your own time, you've now managed your own energy because you're doing things that give you energy. You're spending time with your family when you want to. You're doing, you're going for a run when you want to. You're going and meditating when you want to. You're going and eating uh, at a restaurant whenever you want to. You're literally, you have the freedom to do what you want. And so time management is what we are taught. It's what we're preached. It's there's people that are just doing uh, have businesses on it, but we've been sold a major bill of goods mm-hmm. with the whole concept of time management. Because you, me, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, you name it, we all have 24 hours in a day. I don't care how well you manage your time. Great equalizer. I don't care how well you manage your time or how poorly you manage your time. You're not getting another second out of the day. But if you manage your energy really, really well, you can be at the top of your game for 16 hours a day, or you can be at the top of your game for six minutes a day. And knowing when to tune in and tune out to that and when to break away from it. That's it's, so, it's such an interesting concept of, and it, it started for me when I, the, the concept of um, a mindset shift. And that started for me, instead of thinking of every dollar as salary or income, I think of it more as cash flow. And that concept of cash flow, where I'm still able to pay all my bills, everything's taken care of. And then now I'm in a place too where I could do things for, for my family and for myself, not extravagant or anything, but not worry about it. But I don't look at it as income anymore. I look at it as cash flow to keep things moving. That mindset now shifted to the time versus energy. Exactly what you're saying. But yes, I have things scheduled, but it's also where am I putting the energy into? Where am I shifting it to? Exactly. Not that thing scheduled. Listen, what I do for a living, things are on a calendar. This show is on a calendar for a reason. But shifting that concept from time to energy is 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 a fascinating uh concept and and for me it happened naturally and i think it's because i took the right path there consciously and subconsciously but so many people find it hard how do you help folks find the energy so a lot of it comes back to that thing that we spoke about before was awareness and where a lot of traditionally energy has been a very like frou-frou, fluffy. Yeah, hippie, uh, guru, go out in the desert and trip on peyote kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Go and hit up a, yeah. an ayahuasca farm somewhere. Yeah, and go find that shaman, take that trip down on the Amazon. Become a monk and and spend three months living there and then away you go, that. you're going to be... I can't be without my phone for more than an hour. You think I could ever be a monk? <laughs> the the ayahuasca Nile River, you know, I'll go I'll go down there. I'll do that. That's fine. That's that's all fine and dandy. I think I think opening up dimensions is cool. That's a conversation for another day. But you're right. And and so what it but what it comes back to is the fact that we've made the intangible tangible. The fact that and it goes back to a 13-year-old kid in Edmonton, Alberta who wanted to be nothing but a hockey player. And I was told at a very young age, because I looked around me and I said, everybody else is great as well. Everybody else is really good. How, how do I stand out? And my dad looked at me and he said, son, talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid. And I was like, okay, wow, that makes a lot of sense. How can I be the most consistent version of myself? And f- forever, it was, it was an unknown to me. And so I started to get into exercise physiology, nutrition, sleep, all this stuff. That At 13 years old, I was reading those types of books, listening to those types of uh, radio shows at that time, and for, for where my friends were reading comic books, playing video games. That was, that was the difference. And so I found 
heart rate variability at a very young mm -hmm. age. And I, I mean, one night, I, I still remember, it was December of uh, uh, the year 2000. And, uh, and I, I remember this because for Christmas that year, uh, I, all I wanted was a, something to measure my heart rate variability. <laughs> and um, it, it was amazing because December of 2000, I was doing some light reading, reading American Journal of Sports Medicine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Light uh, reading. Yeah, exactly. And, and I found this study that talked about how heart rate variability was the way in which your body handles stress. And thus, equivalently, it is has a major impact on your energy level. So forever and now being the year 2021, we're starting to hear about HRV a little bit more, a little bit more. But it is not just a little bit more, a little bit more. It should be the only thing we track and measure. And so coming back to how do we teach people or how do we get people to actually buy into um, this concept of energy management is it comes back to now making it tangible. Right. Like, like, it's, like how do you take it from this like frou-frou kind of thing you kind of hear about it? You're like, all right, cool. Now, what the hell does that mean in real life? Because when we now know that our HRV, if our, H score, if J, if our HRV score traditionally is around just say you have an average of 90 over the course of a month. Let's, let's choose an even number to make it easy. Can we pause in that for a second? Let's yeah. just break down HRV for everybody. What does it mean and how do we measure it? Yeah. Heart rate variability is the time intervals between our waves or between beats in our uh, when our heart's beating. The higher the variability, the better, the more fit, the more resilient, the more energetic we are. So a higher heart rate. So not a higher heart rate, a higher heart rate variability. So for example, if you have a heart rate of 60 beats per minute, our heart is not beating at one second intervals. Right. It is beating very variably. So one time it could be 750 milliseconds. The next time it could be 1.3 seconds. Right. It's not always consistent. Correct. Or at all. Correct. And so the, the variance between those beats, the more variable they are, the greater heart rate variability you have. So in the example I gave, if two people, two equal people, one has a, uh, a constant heartbeat at one second intervals, both have 60 uh, heart rate going of 60 beats per minute, one is beating at exact 60 second intervals, their HRV is gonna be zero because it's the basically how you measure heart rate variability. It's the standard, uh, or it's the um, square root of the standard difference. So how far off the standard deviation? Correct. Much. Exactly. And so one would be zero and the other one was 1 1.2, 740 milliseconds could be like 120. Okay. So the higher the HRV, the greater your energy level, the better your fitness level, the more well you are, the less stress, the more resilient, all those positive things that we look at. And that's a number that we can get every single day. And so by getting it every single day and now bringing the cognitive awareness as to what that number means, it's no longer us just saying, oh, we need to meditate more. Oh, we need to go for a run. Oh, we need to exercise more. Oh, we need to eat better. Oh, we need to sleep better. Oh, we need to do this and this just because. No, we now have something that can truly tell us if the habits we're engaging in, the way we're living our life, what we're involved in, is helping us or it's not. And let's re let's not forget this, that stress on our body, 
our body doesn't know the difference between mental, physical, spiritual, or emotional stress. It just ceases its stress. So Adam, you going and working your corporate nine to five was putting so much emotional and physical or emotional and um, mental stress on you that that was equivalent to a workout in the morning, the same type of stress. I mean, I get the same results. I wish, but yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but what would happen is your body is taking, it just doesn't know the difference. Doesn't know the difference between Adam going for a run and Adam sitting at his desk being all stressed out because he hates what he's doing. All it knows is stress and thus the stress response is the same. And that is why when we see a lot of our clients come through and we start looking at it, they're like, Justin, I can't get my HRV over 30. Why is that? I eat well. I go for a run every day. Um, but all of a sudden we dive a little bit deeper and they're working 17 hours a day. They're uh they're they're in the midst of moving they've uh everybody's in the midst of the pandemic uh they have they just had twins a month ago like they've got all these stressors in their life and they wonder why just because they went chose they they go for a run daily that they're not feeling more energetic let me ask you a question though this makes sense and i understand the the, the scientific part of it i also understand the the mindset part of it why is this not mainstream? Is it, I mean, I, I'm about to open up a can of worms on, you know, Western medicine here, but like, is that the reason? Yes, a hundred percent. And, and, and the, here's the other thing is it's been mainstream. I, it's been mainstream in sports only in the last five years. And when I first entered the league in 2012, Quite frankly, this is this is what brought me to the league. This was my differentiating factor. I was the youngest strength coach in the National Hockey League simply because I knew what I knew the data. I knew the information because I'd been I'd been into it since I was a 13-year-old kid. I had spent 10 years learning about this stuff and applying it in a very unique way. So all of a sudden when I start using this in sports, even in sports at 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, even 2017, 2018, in my last years, it was still like, I don't know if I like this. I don't yeah. know if I really want to go into this. But those that used it, those that did it, the years that we, that our coaching staffs really bought in and really did it, we were the <laughs> least injured team. We won the most games. We were most, the most resilient team. We had the most gas at the end of the year. We went deepest in the playoffs. And we won national championships. The like, there, the, 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 the case is there. Why do, you think, why do you think that the sports world is more open to accepting and trying this than mainstream it's, culture? A lot, a lot of it comes back to that nobody's talked about it at the way in which we're talking about it now. And now seeing it, and, and so going back to my my exit from the NHL and what I talked about with um, presenting to one of the biggest companies is once we present it, and a lot of times whenever we stand up and we present and we talk to companies about this, it's like, why haven't we been doing this forever? All right. It's the same question. Why not? Because we weren't aware of it. No one was talking about it. Exactly. We, we, so, what what are, what are the objections? What are, what are the what are the what are the what are the you know? Hey, dude, this is all freaking horseshit. What are you talk? What the hell are you talking about? The the biggest, uh, to be honest with you, Adam, the biggest, um, I don't even want to say pushback we get, but it's 
people don't want to be feel like they're being invaded of their privacy. Hmm. People don't want to feel like they're divulging too much about what they're doing. I don't want to know. I don't want you to know how I'm sleeping. I don't want Why, you to people know. People are scared. They don't want. They don't want you to unpack things that just aren't working for them, or their insecurities, or things that they're hiding Physical, in their closet. Everybody has insecurities. And, we all do. And at the end of the day, if you come back to, I don't know if you're like there, there was one guy. He, I still remember this. We were working with this company out of Boston, and. He comes up in the presentation. He goes, I don't want you to know if I'm getting some at night. I was like, I was like, but I won't know if you're getting any. Like, I, and quite frankly, that I, I, it's not a camera in the room. You're just monitoring the heart rates, right? I'm not even monitoring. We're not even monitoring your heart rate. We're monitoring one number, one number. I don't see any of the other data. We have algorithms that create it all. All I see is one number. how, how How do you monitor? What's a physical device or something? So we were wearable agnostics. So you can wear an aura ring, you can wear a whoop band, you can wear a uh, heart rate monitor, you can right. wear, uh, we've got a little finger monitor. It's, it's, it's heart rate. It's just strictly heart rate. It's, it's pulling from, it's pulling from heart rate. Yes. It's, and so at the end of the day, it's there, it's all of these other wearables have, they're the ones that are taking all the other information that, that, Ultimately, you're now looking at like how hard the workout is, how well you're sleeping. Because if I if I was going to come at it from this direction and this angle, I would say there really isn't any the information that says how accurate your sleep is, how accurate all that is on your wearables. That's not what we do. All I know is that HRV is extremely accurate in in looking at the stress and strain and resiliency okay. and what you're under. So, so now, now we broke it down. Now we explained it. We explained what it does, what it is. Let's put this into action. Give us some case study examples of certain numbers, what they mean, and how do we put this into actionable change? Awesome. You like that? I'll, give you, I'll give you this one case study. We had this individual. Uh, he runs a uh, $790 million company. He started there three years ago. He's their CEO. He has a, an entire leadership team around him. About two and a half years ago, he uh, found himself uh, on the verge of bankruptcy, uh, had about 5,500 people to work for him that he was trying to save their job for. Day in, day out, day in and day out, just trying to save the, trying to save the company, to save the business. About a year and a half ago, he found himself in the hospital uh, with uh, his body was shutting down. He had diabetes uh, so much so that they came in and read him his last rites. Um, and about a week after that, two weeks after he got out of the hospital, slowly started to come around. He found us and he said, Hey, I need some help. At that point we measured his HRV looking at everything. His HRV was nine. And obviously being read your last rights, that's a something to kind of give you a wake up call that something needs to change. Nice. We started to work with him in terms of energy management, energy, you using it in a, in a different way in some, in a matter that actually was going to have an impact on him. So we talked about getting up and doing things that for only him going for a walk, going and canoeing out in the outside, going, spending time with family, setting boundaries, uh, having certain awareness about what you're doing on a on a certain day, how much time you're spent in energy out, we call it activities versus energy in activities. 
And when we brought the awareness back to this, the energy out on a given day was 14 hours where energy in was less than 30 minutes. Well, what we end up saying is that any time that you are over eight hours net energy out for the day, that's considered a red day. Anything between six and nine or six and eight, pardon me, is considered a yellow day. Anything less than six is a green day. And so now that we could categorize these things, we were able to now start working with them. Well, we got a... I was Data on, tells a story. I was on the phone with him yesterday. This is now a year after working together. He went to his doctor. His, his pancreas that was shut off, like completely shut off, has now turned back on. He no longer has diabetes. No longer has diabetes. His business is no longer a $780 million company. It's a $1.4 billion company. He has been able to go on five vacations with his family in the past uh, year and a half that in the previous five years, he had not gone on one. He feels better, more energetic, more lively, a better leader than he's ever felt ever in the past. Right. And this is just, and, and this isn't now just him. We work with his entire leadership team as well. So the other 15 people that we're working with are all feeling something different as well. And they're all on the same path. His HRV now consistently 65. And so it's a drastic difference because now he knows when he wakes up in the morning, what's my HRV? When his HRV is down in that 30 level, he goes, hey, you know what? Today, I need to start my day off a little bit slower. I'm going to go. I'm going to spend my time. He has a framework and he has the tools. He, and he knows how to apply them in the appropriate that's the, way. That's the key. Giving them the keys is one thing, but you have to know how to drive. 100%. And so the moment that you have the so, something tangible, and I said this in my TED Talk, what we care about and what we measure, we can manage. Without. Like Without a way to measure, there's no way to manage. We, we talk about monitoring and measuring in our business. We have EBITDA. That's how we right. manage. We talk about measuring and managing diabetes. We measure glucose. Right. That's how we manage. We have the stock market. The stock market has a number. That's how we manage. For, for energy, we for so long, we've just been, huh, I think I have energy today. <laughs> I think I feel good today. No, we need a metric. We need we need we need a measure. So Justin, let me ask you a question. I are are you truly a student of your own game? Are you truly do you embrace it personally? Do you really, you know, every single day monitor your own energy and conscious of how it's affecting you and your business and your life, your personal life, and adjusting it accordingly? Every single day. And let me let, I'm gonna give you this example. I had, I tested positive for COVID last Thursday. And this is, this is an awesome story, by the way. I, right now I'm supposed to be in Canada. Last, my, my fiance and I, we built a house up in Montreal and for a year we were waiting for this thing to be built. It was to be delivered to us last Monday. So we, we packed up a truck, 32 footer with all the stuff that we needed to U-Haul sitting out in the driveway. And we wake up on Thursday morning, the day that we're supposed to leave. We got tested three times on Tuesday with all the tests that we need to get over the border. Wednesday, two of them came back negative. 
And on Thursday, I woke up, I looked at my HRV, it's typically about 95, woke up, it was 42. Like, what's going on? Like, I'm not under any drastic stress. Like, I feel fine. I was like, oh my God, I have COVID. That was the intuition, just from that. I said, oh my God, I have COVID. Something like, external. I said to I said to Elise, I said, uh, I said, I have COVID. She goes, no, you don't. Like, your um, your, your two tests came back negative. I said, my HRV is never this low. It's plummeted. And my respiration rate has gone from what's usually 13 to, to 19. I said, I have COVID. She goes, no, no, it's all good. So we got into the truck and drove for t- about 30 minutes. And I said, Elise, we need to turn around. We have, I have COVID. We stop, we pull over to truck stop, look at our emails. Test came back. The third test. Positive. Positive. It's crazy. That is the story that that like just tells you that if you are measuring appropriately, you can make the determinants of what you need to. Thus, over the next week, I canceled 50% of my meetings. I took off everything that I did not have to do. And I made sure that I was sleeping an extra three, four hours a day. Getting that energy up. Through different, through different mm-hmm. either earlier to bed, later to rise, or naps throughout the day. I was taking my workouts from usually what are about an hour to about 20 minutes of just simple movement, like going for a walk, so that my body, again, could build stamina and energy back to where it needed to be. And lo and behold, today, if you asked me how I felt, I feel like I'm a 10 out of 10. I feel great. This, this is not even a week later after getting that positive test. And my symptoms really started to come like Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I felt like I got hit by a truck. So that's the big difference. That is the, yes, to answer your question, I live, eat and breathe by this every single day because why, why would I not want to know the numbers no, of course. and be able to measure it? And and Justin, who who are as we as we wrap it up here? How who 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 are your ideal clients? Who should be working with you? Uh, to be honest, yeah, any entrepreneur and executive team, I, it's it's an absolute no brainer to be able to. Uh, we talk about productivity. We talk about efficiency. We talk about being able to uh, save money in the long run from mm. absenteeism or. Uh, I get, I call them man games lost to injury, but uh, it, that, that anybody who owns a business, anybody who owns a team, anybody who owns a, uh, is, is the executive leadership team should 100% be looking into this should hundred percent, uh, have at least a presentation done to understand how you, be, how, how you can be using these tools to change the way your executive team functions, change the culture in which you operate with, because you're going to win at the end of the day. I love it, man. And where can folks find you? Where can they learn more? Yeah, I mean, you could go to justownit.co. Um, it's a simple way to reach out to our, our entire team there. Um, and then uh, if uh, you want to really just get a high-level version of what HRV truly is and how to apply it to your life, you can go to master in six minutes. Dot com. Uh, that's master in the number six minutes.com. And uh, you'll get all the resources that you need there. 
Awesome. Great, great stuff. And everyone can connect with Justin. Justin, hang with me one minute. Thank you so much for joining me today. I also want to thank my other guest, Courtney Sear. Thank you so much. Thank you for hanging out in the green room. I see you there. I see you hanging out. I see you down there. <laughs> and I want to thank Dr. Jonathan Fisher for joining us today. And everyone who's joined us on the live stream, everyone who is joining us on the replays, which are totally cool. Everyone joining us on LinkedIn. I know this is going to be up there for a long time. I appreciate everyone's time. We will be back next week on the 22nd, which is Thursday. Yes, right? 22nd Thursday? You got it. I, I lose track. Yes, next Thursday, I have a pretty awesome lineup as well. We have Jackie Hermes, Matthew Matola, and Mr. Justin Welsh himself. So this is going to be another really interesting show. All of our live shows live on the podcast.com. You know where to find it. I want to thank everyone for spending some time with us this afternoon. Justin, hang with me one moment. Find out more at thepodcast.com. Remember, take care of each other. Stay six feet apart and catch us next week for more podcasts. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.